Um, open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4. We will be reading verses 1 through 7. Verses 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a paperback one right there in front of you in that pew back. If you don't own one, take that home with you. That's our gift to you today. Upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and you will respond with thanks be to God. When you get to 2 Kings chapter 4, say, Jesus paid it all. All right, follow along with me. Have your eyes on Scripture. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons, and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're glad that you're here with us today. Um, we sort of have a standalone Sunday here, meaning that we just wrapped up 18 weeks um, in the Sermon on the Mount. 18 sermons, and it was fantastic. We had a beautiful time last week, and we celebrated with baptisms, baby dedications, and just celebrated all the new life that's taking place. And then next week, we start our journey through the Old Testament book of Daniel. And so we're going to be looking at the first six chapters in the book of Daniel. And it's really going to be an exciting time. We're tagging the series from surviving to thriving. And looking at what it is to live for God in a culture that hates God. And basically, we can get those lessons from Daniel. And so I would just lay before you, it's always a great time to invite someone to church when we start a book of the Bible or we start a series. Um, Here at Westside, we love the Bible, so we teach through books of the Bible. We're not interested in sermon series like 10 Ways to Be a Better You or anything like that. We just believe that God's Word is enough. And so we're really excited about that. But today, um, I get to teach through one of my favorite sort of Old Testament passages here in 2 Kings. And today, we're tagging the phrase, how God works is what we're tagging our text today. And um, we're going to give you an opportunity at the end of the sermon to really respond in a very specific way today. And we've been praying and we're very excited about this because we believe, listen, look up here. We believe God wrote a book, man, right? And we believe that it's in this book that we encounter the God that wrote the book. And so today we're going to look at this idea of how God works, but maybe as a way of introduction, this will be helpful. Were any of you, like me growing up, or maybe you have a kid, hopefully you don't have a kid like me, because I'll pray for you, man, woof, but maybe it was like this, were were any of you growing up that kid that just always needed to know how something worked, right? So you were taking apart your toys, right, or any, any of those kids, right? You were taking apart your toys, you were doing all kinds of stuff, just to see, like, how something works. You were always interested. And basically what we did is we would press the button and then ask what it did later, right? So what does this do? Garbage disposal. Ah, oh my goodness. And so, and I was looking, did you know actually that they sell toys now that basically are made for kids to take apart? 
Like, it's like, so basically you buy this toy for your kid so you can take it apart and so you can see how it works. And what's interesting is, is when you know how that something works, you always are more intrigued by that. And really, when we look at the scriptures, God has given us his word to reveal to us how he works. What does it look like? How does God work and interact with his creation and his people? And here in 2 Kings chapter 4, we see a story as to how God works. It's very blatant, and we see this. But before we get into that, I think it's helpful for us to understand that there's a sort of a misnomer when it comes to the Old Testament, right? Oftentimes people are like, man, New Testament, this is disconnected. What is the purpose of this? And actually the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans says this about the Old Testament. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. The story that you're about to read right now is written for your encouragement and to build up your faith, or to put it another way, to let you know how God works. But I think there's a great misnomer when it comes to how God works. See, I think we have an idea as to how God should work, right? Right. A lot of us are like, oh man, I really think God should work this way. And I think uh, we surveyed 100 people, and so there's the top three answers on the board today, right? I'm just kidding, we didn't do that. But I do think that there are some misnomers as to how God works, right? So the first one being this, God always works extravagantly. Extravagantly, right? I mean, come on, Jason, Old Testament, he parted the Red Sea, he did all that. Yeah, I mean, God does work extravagantly for sure, but it's not always. And funny, when Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, he always said the kingdom of God is like, and I'm always thinking he's going to be like a sword or you know, something super awesome, but he's like, it's like a farmer throwing out seed. It's like a plant that grows. God actually uses ordinary means to accomplish extraordinary things. So it's not always, right? So if you're going around looking at that, you're often going to miss what God is doing in the everyday. Or how about this? God always works neatly. Neatly, right? Right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for somebody in my family. Or I, got a, I got a prayer request. Or I'm just going to plead for God for something in my life. And what God's going to do is he's going to zap me with all the warm, fuzzy feelings. And then after my cup of coffee and my devotion that morning, everything's tied in a bow and put in a box neatly for me in my life. And now everything's put together. Wrong. Right? Wrong. God oftentimes lets everything hit the fan. He lets everything go out from underneath us, and then he begins to work. See, our God is not afraid of the mess, and he often works in the mess. So no, God doesn't always work neatly, but here's the number one misnomer. God should always work quickly. Quickly. Quickly, quickly, quickly. And even when we think quickly, like, oh, man, I've been praying for a couple weeks, for a couple months for something. Man, there are stories in the Bible for people who have been praying for things for like 20 years, man. 
But we live in an instant gratification culture. And so as soon as we pray for something and something doesn't happen, we give up, we throw in the towel, we cast in our chips, and we say that we're done. So, so how does God work then? Let's have God's word correct us. Listen, this is important for you as a believer in your life, man. This is going to encourage you. This is going to equip you because to know how God works will enable us and empower us to work for him, okay? So the context of our passage is that we've got this lady coming to Elisha. Elisha's an Old Testament prophet. He was the assistant to Elijah, right? Elijah was like varsity team, Old Testament prophet. I mean, this guy's raining fire down from heaven. He doesn't even die. God comes with chariots of fire and takes this dude away. He's so important that Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, there's two guys, Moses and Elijah, man. This guy's a big deal. But Elisha is is, uh, Elijah's assistant. And so people always love, like, Elijah. He always gets, like, the spotlight. And then people like Elisha, but they always, like, if you turn the page, they always love, like, when he comes and raises the widow's son, right? But in this passage, we see a woman, a widow, who's not even named. The Bible doesn't even give us her name. But we see it's a woman who has a great need And she cries out to God, and God works in her life. Anybody in here today got a great need? Amen, right? Praise God for you, little guy. From the mouth of babes, right? Because we come to church, and we got it all figured out. Anybody in here got a great need today? Only a a couple of us? Okay, so the sermon's only for a couple of us. For everybody else, I'll preach angry for. Okay, all right? So what we're going to see today is how God works how God works in your life. The first thing, very simple, is this. God works in your needs, right? God works in your needs. Look at verse one. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha. So there's our context. She's a lady. Her husband worked probably in the temple, right? So she's a preacher's wife. She's got a great need, and her husband has passed away. And she says, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take away my two children to be his slaves. So back then in ancient times, if you fell into debt, right? So you needed food. So they would lend you a goat or a calf or something like that. And if you were not able to pay off those debts a family member was entered into the creditor's business to pay off those debts, right? So when you read things like Charles Dickens and things like that, that, that's what the crediting system looked like. So this woman has a very great need. But look at what she does. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha. That's very strong in the original Hebrew. It means that she literally belted out, that she cried out, that she used her voice and cried out to Elisha. And one of the things that I think is so interesting is why we don't ask oftentimes for our needs is because of this principle. You can't ask and be in control at the same time. That's just the first point, right? We're just into the sermon right now today. 
See, I think oftentimes why we don't ask God for things is because we know that when you ask for something, you can't be in control at the same time. What's the phrase? Beggars can't be, right? Yeah. Why do you think it's different for you and God? You come, you lay a need before God, and oftentimes our prayer is followed up by, and oh yeah, if you could do that by Wednesday, that would be fantastic for me. Because listen, look up here. God is not as concerned about answering your prayer as he is about the person you're becoming. Write that down. Okay, that's good. That's not even in my notes, man, okay? God is not like, oh, man, I got to answer prayer today. Oh, man, I got to answer prayer today. Oh, man, they gave me a wish list, and I got to mark it off today. What God is concerned about is the type of person that you're becoming. So when he is working in your needs, he is working and molding you into the image of Christ. But there's a problem that we have. Let me speak to two different groups. Ladies, let me speak to you. Look up here. Oftentimes, what keeps you from laying your needs out, not just to God, but also to God's people? Because notice, she didn't just cry out to God. She cried out to Elisha. She cried out to another person. And oftentimes, why ladies won't ask for help, well, number one, it's just because y'all are mean, okay? So can I just go ahead and say that? Right, y'all are brutal, man, okay, right? But often, it's because you feel this type of pressure, maybe this image here. Yes, we can. We can do it, right? That's awesome, right? Praise God for strong women. Westside was built because of strong women. Westside is thriving because of strong women. But this picture is actually a World War II propaganda. And it was put in the factories during World War II when all of the men went off, the women went into the factories, and actually, guys, productivity went up in the factories, Simply because of this, women read instructions. Fascinating. That's a fact. That's a historical fact. Productivity went up. And so they would put this picture everywhere to boost morale. But the problem that the world puts on you, ladies, is the image that you have to have it all together. So you've got to be the mom that has the job, that raises the kids, that cooks the meal, that does all of this, that has it all together and cannot show any weaknesses. And God forbid I ask any other women in my life for help because then I may be appear weak and then they may use that against me because really it's all about a cat fight and it's all about me and blah, 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 blah. And the reality is, is that God is working in this woman's need not in her strength. But how about this, guys? I'm coming for you too. Don't think I'm just at the women today, right? Because guys, you feel like you have to have this image, right? (laughs) Well, hey there, you young pilgrim, right? The Duke, right? The man that never cried, John Wayne, right? Legendary, tough, Right? Listen, newsflash, bro. Manhood is not about who can fart the stinkiest, lift the most weights, be with the most women, and be a little boy who can shave. All right? Our society is filled with that stuff. And I get indignant in my soul because God has called men to lead their families and to lead the church. You want a task? 
hold down a job, hold down a marriage, love a woman for 50 years, and pray and read your Bible because no men are doing that. And here's what I'm trying to say. God doesn't work in your strengths. He works in your weaknesses. That's where he works. And many of you are like, oh, God's not working in my life. Oh, God's not working in my life. Why don't you drop the facade and quit acting like you got it all together? Because you're two steps away from stupid just like I am. And we need each other. And we need everybody around us. So how does God work? He works in our needs. But secondly, God uses what you have. God uses what you have. You should be saying, Jason, where does that come from in the text? Look at verse 2. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. So you got to understand about this. This is Old Testament. This is an ancient text, okay? The Bible wasn't written to you, but it's written for you, okay? So when Elijah says, what do you have, right? Old Testament prophets flexed, man. They did their stuff for God. Signs, miracles, wonders, super cool stuff. So Elisha's like, what do you got to work with? What do you got to work with? She's like, I don't have anything but a jar of oil. That's equivalent to saying, uh, I got a little bit of money rat hold and stored away, right? My life savings, because back then, there was trading. And also, this, this jar of oil was representation that you would have this, and when you died, they would anoint your body with this. So this is almost like a life savings. And she says, I don't have much. And look at what Elisha says. Go outside and borrow vessels from all your neighbors. Empty vessels, not too few. And he starts giving her instructions. Elisha's like, oh, you only got a little bit of oil? Perfect. Because listen, look up here. God doesn't need a lot. God doesn't need a lot. And for many of you, you're not seeing God work in your life because you're doing this sad song. Oh, we don't have much. Oh, our fam. Oh, my time. I'm just, bi- oh, my health. Oh, and listen, you're long and you and I call you, I call you Dorothy, right? Because what did Dorothy want? She always wanted out of little Kansas, Right? And she frustrates me because what happens when she gets out of Kansas? She wants to go back the whole movie, man. Oh, I can't wait to go back to Kansas, right? Oh, oh, right? Listen to me. Listen, this principle will change your life. Contentment is the conduit through which God's, God's power flows. Until you're content with what God has given you, you'll never be content with what God gives you. That's just the facts. Until you're content, listen, it's not about more time. Oh, if we had more time, then we would serve, and then the community group, and this and that. Because listen, the Bible says when you get more time, you're going to do dumb stuff with your more time. That's not the answer. The answer is contentment. And I often hear people wanting to serve in the church, but when I get this together, and then when I do that, and then I don't have much, and I can't do it. Listen, the Bible's not filled with awesome people. The Bible's filled with one awesome person, and that's Christ. The Bible's filled with a lot of ordinary people, God doing extraordinary things through them. Check this out. This is a picture of Pastor Lee Jong Rock. He's a pastor of God's Love Community Church in South Korea. This is the advertisement for a documentary that's on Netflix called 
the drop box. This, ne- this next picture shows the picture of it. He's a pastor in South Korea, and in South Korea, they have an epidemic where when guys take out the trash, they have to check the trash for small babies. Because South Korea is one of the number one countries that people throw away their babies due to drug addiction, due to poverty, and everything like that. Pastor Lee was so heartbroken about this epidemic that he saw a need in his community and he thought, why aren't we doing anything about this? They don't have much. They have a three-bedroom apartment and there's a little box And this has swept South Korea so much that the government now recognizes him as an entity. And people who no longer want their babies and want to discard them will drop them in the box. When the door is closed and alarm sounds, the the local authorities are identified. And the documentary shows Pastor Lee running up the stairs, opening the box and then falling and dropping to his knees and saying a prayer over the child. They oftentimes have physical defects, and this is what the documentary says. Pastor Lee stays up most nights to listen for the bell, and the first thing he does after carefully lifting the baby from the box is to kneel and pray. He'll then get the baby to a hospital and pass them on to an orphanage or an adoption agency. Why do I say this? Because here's a guy who saw a need and said very simply, I can take care of a baby. I can take care of a baby and pass it on. Question, what's your excuse? What was your excuse about a busy schedule again? What was your excuse about the, the money situation or something? It was something. You were saying something. You were arguing with me about something whenever I was preaching, right? Because here's what you're saying. Most of you say this, look at this. If I had blank, then I would blank. If I had more time, then we would do the community group. Or if I had more this, then we would serve in kids' side. Or if we did more, if I had more money, then I would give. And listen, whatever you say goes in the first blank is actually your God. That's just the facts, bro. If I had more blank, that is what your heart's desire is. Because listen, God uses what you have. This jar of oil that this woman has, well, look, it just goes to the next thing. The third thing is this. God works through obedient faith. Obedient faith. Because look, Elisha tells her, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors and empty vessels, not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all of the vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him. Underline that in your neighbor's Bible, right? Make sure they're still awake. She went from him. Crazy, right? It's like she's doing what Elisha told her to do. And imagine, imagine how weird it was. She had to go around, knock on doors. Hey, hey uh, do, do you have a vessel? Do you have one of those vessels? People knew her in the town. People knew that she was poor. People were like, why do you need a vessel for? What's going on? Well, I've, I've talked to the prophet, the man of God, and I'm supposed to, man, that's never going to work for you, right? I mean, imagine, right? She had to ask for help. And in just a moment towards the end of the service, we're going to give you an opportunity to step out in obedient faith. 
and for you to pray with some people and to ask for help. Because oftentimes you're not seeing God working in your life because you're just simply not stepping out in the obedient faith. Listen, we said this last week, but I'm going to say this until I'm blue in the face. Obedience is the evidence of faith. Obedience is the evidence of faith. Listen, if you're praying for God to provide for you a job, then my next question is how many applications you got out, bro? If you're praying for something, you're also walking in obedient faith. And so she went from him and she shut the door behind herself, her and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. You see, it's in the obedience that God's meeting her. It's in the obedience as she's pouring and as this is happening. And many of you are not seeing these things because you want God to answer it and then you'll step out in obedience. And listen, that's not how God works. It's just not how he works. And listen, your questions won't be answered on this side of obedience. They just won't. Until you step out in that obedient faith, that is where you will meet God and that's where you'll see God. Alexander McLaren says this, you have God in the measure in which you desire him. Only remember that the desire that brings God must be more than a feeble, fleeting wish. Wishing is one thing, willing is quite another. Lazily wishing and strenuously desiring are two entirely different postures of mind. The former gets nothing and the latter gets everything. It gets God and with God all that God can bring. Listen, this woman was truly desperate because true desperation brings about action. And listen, until you're at the moment where you go, I can't do this anymore. My marriage will not go on like this. My kids will not live this way. My finances will not be steward like this until you're at that point of desperation and step out in obedient faith. That's where God meets you. And then look, not just a few vessels. Look at the text. Don't get just a few, but get a lot. Man, I love that. I love that because you know what that tells me? Oftentimes, our prayers are too little for God. God's like, listen, I don't want you to get one vessel. I want you to get a dozen of them, man. Because I want to do far more abundantly than what you even ask or think. But why did she do this? Listen, follow me. I'm trying to teach you something here. Why did she do this? How did she step out in faith? It was on the word of Elisha. It was on the word of God. So listen, faith's foundation is built on the word of God. You're not stepping out in ignorance. You're not stepping out in the warm fuzzies. You're stepping out. And faith is the confident assurance that what God has said will happen. So I'm going to walk in this faith. I love what Charles Spurgeon says here, one of my favorite preachers. If she borrowed few vessels, she would have but little oil. If she borrowed many vessels, they should all be filled And she should have much oil. She herself to measure out what she should have. And I believe that you and I in the matter of spiritual blessings from God have more to do with the measurement of our mercies than we think. We make our blessings little because our prayers are little. Oh, that is good. 
He is saying, if you're not seeing God work extravagantly in your life, right? He doesn't do this always. But if you're not seeing him work to the level, are you asking? So listen, I got a question for you. I got a question. What's the empty place in your life? What's the empty place in your life? You know, right there. It just comes to your mind. What's the empty place? Where's the need? And then secondly, what are you doing about it? Because that's the text. This isn't just a woman who cried out to God and complained. This is a woman who cried out in faith and got to work, man, built on the obedience of God's word. But here's the last thing you got to know about God's works, right? How does God work? The last thing is this. God's works are never lacking. Ooh, that's good. For some of you, that's why you came to church today. That's the word, man. Because look at what Elisha says. There is not another. Verse 7, she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay off your debts. Boom, met the need, met the need, but not just met the need, and you and your sons can live on the rest. That's good. Listen, I'm not just going to meet your need. I'm going to work so much into your life that it's going to blow out over you and affect other people's lives. You know that's why God is generous, right? Listen, newsflash, look up here, look up here. This is profound in 2018, okay? Listen, it's not about you, okay? It's not. What God's doing in your life is to do something in your life that will overflow and affect other people's lives. God's works are never lacking, man. Like, how about this? Anybody ever eat at Lambert's? Raise your hand. Eat at Lambert's? Man, right? That molasses that comes around, man, that fried okra, and then they bring you your food, right? I mean, big gulps, huh, right? You're drinking that sweet tea. It's like a five-gallon bucket out of that thing, man. Then they bring you your food. It's phenomenal. Throat rolls. Have any of you ever asked for a roll and then ducked and let it hit the person next to you? Yeah, me neither. Me neither. I've never done that either. We're Christians. We don't do that. Sorry. Yeah, right. Forgot, right? You know what I've never heard anybody ever say when they left Lambert's? Man, not really that full, bro. That meal was lacking today, man. I'm not really satisfied with that. The same as when someone works in God's life. Or the same as when God works in someone's life. No one's ever like, man, really? So that's how you answer the prayer, huh? Expecting a little more than that. Go pay off your debts and then live on the rest. I'm going to close with this. What what makes it practical for us on this side of the cross? Oh, my. Because you and I had a debt that we could not pay. A profound debt. And see, we have more than this woman. See, we read the Old Testament and we're like, oh man, if God could only do that for me, my faith would be so strong. If God could work like that, but the writer of Hebrews would argue with you. And he would say, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, Elisha. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he's appointed to heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. This woman would come to you sitting in that pew in 2018 and say, God has sent the Messiah. 
The Christ has come. You have access to God. You can, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. I had to go through Elisha. I had to worship at the temple. I had to offer sacrifices. And now you praise to the Christ who has come and resurrected. Listen, here's what I'm trying to tell you today. Your greatest need has a greater God. That's what I'm trying to tell you, man. You got Christ. You can make your needs known to him. Don't be lacking in this. Don't be lackadaisical in this. This isn't just nothing. This is everything for us. So the band's going to come up and lead us in a time of response. And we're going to come forward for communion. But listen, listen, look up here. Some of you have a great need. I'm talking hit the fire alarm in case of emergency, break glass. This is serious, man. If my marriage does not change, it's over. If this addiction does not stop, my life is ruined. Some of you have financial needs. Some of you have physical needs. When you come forward for communion, we're going to have people over here in these wings, community group leaders and people of faith that are going to pray for you. But listen, listen, look up here. They're not going to pray for you until you cry out. And the woman cried out to Elisha and said, I have a great debt and I have a great need. And God worked in her life. So I'm going to ask you to step out in faith, some of you. They want to pray for your marriage. They want to pray for your healing. They want to pray for you because you need to know this. Your greatest need has a greater God. Would you stand right where you're at today? Heavenly Father, God, we come before you. And God, we know that you work through obedient faith through obedient faith. So God, I pray for the people that are going to step out in faith, that are going to get prayed for today. Because God, we know that you're there. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and marvelous things that you have not yet known. There are things that we have not known because we have not cried out yet. So God, I pray for the people that are going to step out in faith and make their need known. We know that you meet us in our needs. We know that you use what we have. We know that you work through obedient faith, but oh God, we know that your works are never lacking. Thank you for sending your son to pave the greatest need that we have. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. You can step out and come forward and partake in communion as you feel led, and the people will.